Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. That's the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles. Clayton Cola, John Harlow here with you tonight as we're talking about the wild day at Martinsville Speedway as Kyle Busch advanced to the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. What side are you on? Denny Hamlin or Chase Elliott? We'll take in your phone calls at 917-889-8280. Plus we'll, dis- we'll talk about the Camping World Truck Series race in Martinsville, discuss next weekend's race at Texas, uh, and whose championship hopes were really damaged this weekend at Martinsville Speedway from a motorsports mail, a little bit of news. We'll touch on that a little bit as well. And again, your phone call is 917-889-8280 here tonight, talking circles. But John, Kyle Busch won the first data 500 at Martinsville Speedway. It's his 43rd career cup series victory, his fifth of the year. Uh, he did it after some, let's just say some fireworks at the end of that race. Uh, contact between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott with five laps to go, sent Elliott into the outside wall. Uh, Hamlin, there was a restart after that uh, in which Kyle Busch made contact with Hamlin to get around Hamlin for, for the victory. Um, a wild, wild event. It ended with Chase Elliott taking his car and doing what his father used, did to Bill Elliott, or what his father Bill Elliott did to Dale Earnhardt back in 1987 after the passing of grass. Kind of reminded me of that when he you know, took, you know, took his car and, and ran into the side of, of Dale Earnhardt. This time, Chase, his son, runs into the side of Denny Hamlin after an, after an altercation. A little bit of, of discussion between Cobb, uh, Kevin Harvick and Ryan Blaney on pit road. It was a wild short track race at Martinsville Speedway, John. What were your thoughts on the first out of 500 at Martinsville? Um, again, it's, it's Martinsville, and you should expect exactly what happened to Chase Elliott. You can only get around somebody by putting your nose in a spot you're not supposed to. I mean, because get to the bottom. And Chase Elliott, I mean, he ran a great race. And he wound up getting a 27th place finish out of it, which kind of sucks for him. But the thing is, there's always the old saying of the chickens come home to roost. If you remember about four or five years ago, Chase Elliott and Ty Dillon in a truck race in Canada on the last turn, who got spun out and who won the race? Ty Dillon got spun out. Chase Elliott wins the race. And he's like, well, hey, it was the last lap I was racing. Guess what, Chase? It was the last few laps. Denny Hamlin was racing. And he was trying to win to get his team to Homestead. Second place isn't good enough right now. First place gets you locked in. Um, the one thing about Martinsville that's always funny is you see more beat-up race cars coming in at the end of the race there more than any place except Talladega. I mean, Jimmy Johnson finished, what, 12th, and his front end was all smashed in. Harvick, Ryan Blaney were bouncing off each other from the second stage through the end of the race. Chase gets damaged. Denny gets damaged. Danica had damage. I mean, half the field had damage. It's just the way Martinsville is. The one thing that was kind of cool about it, I turned into about the last 25 laps and saw him running under the lights, which was pretty cool. I like it. I mean, I like the lights there at Marginal. I just wish they put a little bit of banking up there so it wasn't a one-lane track. It, it was an interesting day, no doubt about it. And I think you bring up a good point about uh, paybacks, I guess you could say, or 
racing a driver the way you want to be raced. Now, Chase Elliott, that was four years ago, no doubt about it. And I think a lot of people looked at that and said, okay, that's how you want to race. That's fine. Um, I'm okay with what Hamlin did. And I, here's why, but to an extent, um, you know, I think he went into that corner with the intent of wrecking him. Now, that is where I have a problem with it. If he went into the, into the corner with the intent of, I'm just going to move him out of the way, I would have been okay with it. I think he went into the corner saying, I don't really care what happens. I'm going to push the 24 car and get to the lead. Um, but Denny Hamlin has one coming now. That's the thing. You know, you can't do that and race like that and then make an, uh, an apology on Twitter and expect it to be going away. Um, you, you're going to be raced like that. You have to be because that is what – now you've opened that, that up. I think Chase Elliott owes you one. I think it should come at Phoenix. Uh, and it, it wouldn't be surprising if it keeps sending him from a championship. You know, that's what you do when you race like that. And, again, I'm not for wrecking somebody at 190 miles an hour. I'm not really for wrecking anybody at all. But if you're going to do it, do it at a short track. And Phoenix is an opportunity for, I think, where Chase Elliott might wait a little bit here and say, you know what, when I get close to Denny Hamlin, I'm just going to take him out. And he has every right to do that after what happened on Sunday. Well, the thing is, in Phoenix, and if Chase Elliott has get revenge on Denny Hamlin on his mind, he's not going to make Homestead. Because it's one of those things. If you, I mean, it takes, it's an art to wrecking somebody. Ask Dale Earnhardt Sr. Nobody was better at wrecking somebody without hurting his machinery than Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, not everybody can pull that off. A lot of people, if they try it, they wind up break, I mean, busting a hole in their radiator or rubbing a tire to where they end up having to come to the pits anyhow. So if uh, Chase Elliott's worried about revenge at Phoenix, he's going to basically cost himself a chance at Homestead. I think, but, I mean, the thing is, and Denny put that out, he's raced over 10,000 laps in everything that he's been a part of, and he said it's the first time he's ever taken the leader out. And the way he came in, I mean, you look at it, if you listen to him explain it, the way, looking at the highlights, he led off early and tried to get under the bottom before Chase did. Chase came down, and once they got and made contact, they just kind of locked in, and there wasn't anything, and Denny said there wasn't really anything I could do. And I don't have, like I said, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think he intentionally tried to wreck him. I think he tried to move him out of the way like Kyle Busch did to Denny later on. I think he tried to get to the bottom before Chase and just wasn't giving up his space. And it's a, I mean, it's a racing deal. And at Martinsville, racing deals happen every lap. I mean, because it's one groove racetrack, you have to be at the bottom to go somewhere. Because if you're up top, a long way around, and you don't have the banking to lean on to get you the momentum. If you're up in the top lane at Martinsville, you're pretty much hose. So, I mean, it was the best way for Hamlin to try to get himself locked into Homestead. He tried to get the position. Chase didn't want to give it up. It was two people going for the same real estate, and one person didn't do well with it. It's a shame because Chase Elliott ran a great race. I mean, we've said this all season long. Chase Elliott has been running really good races. He's been the class of the Hendrick Field. But it just – now he's sitting in eighth place, eighth place 26 points back. If well, that's he the thing I was gonna say, goes yeah. to Phoenix and doesn't have a chance at getting in, then I'll look out. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to say was, you know, he might know whether or not he's going to be in this championship hunt or not by the time we get to Phoenix – 
Um, you know, and and Hendrick last year ran really good at this race at Phoenix last year, so he might have a chance. And I know there's Texas coming up, but I just don't see Hendrick having the speed at Texas. Uh, that's why this race at Martinsville was so essential for him and Jimmy Johnson. And we'll touch on Jimmy's day a little bit later, but uh, it was essential for them because if they got the win, they were in at Homestead, and then anything can happen there, no doubt about it. Um, listen, I, I thought Hamlin – certainly knew he had not the only opportunity he had to chase down that 24 car was on a restart he knew okay we're close uh we're close to him at that 24 car starts to get away from me i'm not going to be able to catch him so with five to go he knew this is my opportunity to sort of move him out of the way and and he i think he definitely had the intent of wrecking him on on his mind now again um if you want to race like that that's totally fine but there will be a payback, whether it's Phoenix, whether it's Texas, whether it's Homestead, whether it's next year sometime. He opened up. He's now opened up that that door to be wrecked because that's how he raced. Now, that, listen, if he didn't do that, it, I wouldn't feel the same way about it. But that's how I feel about it. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. He'll talking in circles. Clayton Cole, John Harlow, here with you tonight. Um, you know what it really did was open up a door for Kyle Busch. I mean, here's Kyle who has had a great year. Uh, barely made in, in the playoffs uh, the last round. Now he's punched his ticket into Homestead here, John, uh, after a win at Martinsville. A huge, huge deal for Kyle Busch to win that race. Before Kyle Busch got to Joe Gibbs Racing, Kyle Busch was terrible at Martinsville. And Denny Hamlin showed him how to get around Martinsville. He helped him get around Richmond better. I mean, Denny, the two people you count on at Martinsville that are going to be up front almost every time are Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson. And Kyle just took notes and learned from Denny everything he could at Martinsville, and Kyle Busch ran a good race. I mean, he was up in the front all day. He wasn't the class of the field, but he was there when it mattered. Um, I think one of the bigger mistakes in the race, and even Parker Klingerman tweeted out about it, Toward the end of the race, why the heck did Brad Kozlowski take the outside lane on a restart? Because if Chase Elliott, who was on the inside, gets an equal jump, to not get to the bottom. And then, I mean, and they were fighting back and forth that way. But I think Kyle Busch, I mean, back to Kyle, it was good for him. He's now got two weeks to sit and think and plan for Homestead. He could probably give a, give a you-know-what about Texas. He really don't care about Phoenix. All they're going to do is massage, do everything they can to get that Homestead car perfect. I mean, they'll be at the next two races because they have to, but it doesn't matter what they do because the playoff points don't carry over to Homestead. Everybody, the final four start off fresh at the even amount. It's winner take all at that one. So it, I mean, it behooves Kyle Busch to do nothing these two weeks. He could start and park and be just fine. Take no chance of getting hurt. Take no chance of injury or crew guy. Take no chance at any kind of penalties, no encumbered finishes, nothing like that. Kyle Busch is locked in. All that team is going to do is focus on that Homestead car. And I think the rest of Joe Gibbs Racing will be focusing on Denny to try to get him to Homestead. No doubt. I think uh, it's it's a huge win for him. Uh, and to answer your question about Kozlowski, you brought up a good point there, because I thought the same thing when I saw him do it. I said, why would he go to the outside lane? Then I remembered earlier in the week. Uh, on Saturday, when Matt Crafton chose the inside lane in the Truck Series race and had Noah Gregson on the outside. Uh, and Crafton felt like, for some reason, when the track got rubbered up, at the end of the race, the bottom lane hurt him. He felt like it was 
he just got a little too tight at the end, and Gregson was able to pass him. So I think maybe Brad, knowing Brad, he's a, he's a student of the sport, and he watches the Truck Series race because his, his teams are in it, sat there and said, hey, I remember what happened with Matt Crafton. I'm going to start on the high side and see if we can't pull it off here. I think that might have been a little bit behind his line of thinking. I'd like to hear what uh, exactly what he'd say about that. Um, you know, but at the end of the race, Sean, there was a couple of, of incidences, um, one between Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin, the other one between um, Kevin Harvick and Ryan Blaney, as I talked earlier. The Chase Elliott-Denny Hamlin thing, you know, they, they went slamming each other on the back straight away, slamming into the truck to each other's cars, uh, getting out, screaming at each other. Uh, do you think anybody, both, both of them, none of them, what about the fine situation? Do you think they deserve it? I think they came out today and said that nobody's going to receive anything. Do you think they re- deserve fines? What are your thoughts on that whole situation? Again, I think it was a racing deal. There's no fines. There's not going to be anything. And I think the ultimate way of explaining it is Dale Jr. on his periscope coming out of the race. His words are exactly, that's what NASCAR needs every week. The racing, the cheering, booing, and the anger, all of it going on seemingly nonstop for 15 minutes after the race's chaotic finish. He says, I was so jacked up when I got out of the car that I felt like I drank a pot of coffee and everything that was going on at the finish. I mean, whatever, I mean, you heard everybody all day today on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Everybody was taking one side of Denny or Chase. I mean, uh, Eddie Gossage has already put it up on a billboard outside the track in Texas, the people's champion with Chase Elliott's picture. So you know how he always finds a way with Texas being after Martinsville. There's going to be somebody who comes out of there ticked off, angry, unhappy with the way the day went. And next thing you know, that's the billboard sitting outside of Texas Motor Speedway. Um, I think it was a great finish. And Junior even said it. He said, I ain't seen nothing like that ever. And I don't think I've ever seen a short track finish so crazy. So if Junior thinks this is what NASCAR needs, guess what? NASCAR is going to listen to Junior because everybody listens to Junior. It's interesting. You know, listen, I've been calling for short tracks, more short tracks, at least two more. Uh, I think maybe four more short track races since forever. You know, since we've gotten rid of, uh, you know, since we've gotten rid of Rockingham and all those other tracks and went to mile-and-a-half tracks, I just don't think it's going to happen. We've discussed it a million times on this podcast, the reasons of why it's not going to happen. You know, short track racing is a, a unique animal. What I like about it is you can still lean on each other. You can still rub fenders, put a little tire mark in somebody, and actually race. Um, you know, there's no arrow push. There's no, uh, you know, getting near somebody and getting into a corner and your car's handling fine, and then all of a sudden you get near somebody, and the car starts to handle all crazy because of the wind and, and the air and everything. Um, if you've got a fast race car, you're probably going to go to the front. If you don't, you're going to go to the back, and you have to work on that, and that's old school how it should be racing, in my opinion. Um, sure, there's, there's, it gets too physical sometimes. I think we saw that yesterday, but ultimately it was, it was very entertaining, um, and I think people like seeing drivers who actually care. I mean, Kyle Busch drove his rear end off at the end of that race. So did Denny Hamlin. So was Clint Boyer. They were driving their tails off. Everybody was driving their butts off on the final 20 laps of that race. They were running their, their, as hard as they can. Even Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch going to stage two to get that playoff point. They were beating and banging each other to try and get that playoff point. They were running their guts out because at Martinsville, 
you can because it, it with with lap traffic and and how competitive it is, the racing you're so close to each other. Um, whereas a, a mile and a half track is so far away, it's it it's almost impossible to to be side by side for a stage. Uh, so to me, it's an it's a throwback. It's a great weekend. I enjoy it. I think we need more short tracks. I think Iowa should be out here. Uh, I think you know maybe looking at a at a place like Nashville Fairgrounds. Although that that kind of we lost that with with the purchase of uh, with SMI not buying it, but these race tracks we need to look at how we can get some more short tracks into the truck series, into the Xfinity series, and build them up to a cup race. Because I agree, I think it, if we could get away with about three or four uh, mile and a half tracks, it would be awesome to add those to short tracks. I think it'd be great. Well, Junior continued on his Periscope thing, and his words are, I mean, it says everything that you and I have talked about probably for the last three years on the podcast is, that's so much better than a lot of the things we do. He says, I don't know how to put it into words, but the kind of action and drama, that's what grows the sports and gets people talking. He goes, my God, we don't need guys getting turned around and wrecked every week. I guess what I'm saying is drama, exciting finishes, fans in the grandstands, cheering like crazy, booing and cheering, booing and cheering. He said uh, it was a big deal for the sport. He says, we'll be talking a lot about this. It's going to be dominating the headlines and storylines, and we won't be talking about PJ1 and all that mess. He said, Martinsville (laughs) under the light sure did deliver. And I love Honest Dale Jr., I mean, Dale Jr., the race car driver, I could live with, I could live without. But Dale Jr., the student of the race, the student of the game, the student of the sport, the guy who's put his heart and soul into the sport, since he, like, started doing the social media stuff, boy, does he put some insights out. And I really enjoy And Lee in Virginia and everybody else who's talked on this program have said for years, we need more short tracks. We need less engineering. We need less mile and a half. We need racing, not follow the leader or you get to the lead and people can't pass you because there's an arrow push or they just can't get through the wind to get to you. This way, they're rubbing fenders. They're bumping and banging. I think this is racing. I agree. I think what we saw yesterday was absolutely racing. And it was something that people want to see. Uh, getting back to to the race, the first state of 500 here at Martinsville Speedway, uh, it was a big day for some some drivers. I thought the Ford camp with Team Penske and uh, you know really performed. I know Logano uh, ended up finishing after a blown tire, ended up finishing 24th, but he was up there all day long, had a fast race car. Brad Keselowski led 108 laps. He finished fourth. Clint Boyer was third. Uh, Kevin Harvick was fifth. Trevor Bain sixth. Blaney finished in the top ten. Stenhouse was was in was tenth. So the Fords had a very very good day, you know. Uh, but I thought again, like we talked about with Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson, this was a big weekend for the Ford camp if they wanted to advance. Because if you look at it, Truex is basically, you know, he finished second yesterday. He's basically a lock to get in the Homestead. So you have Bush and Truex, and then you got these two races coming up with Texas and Phoenix. Those winners basically are going to advance into Homestead. Um, so it was a huge weekend if you're, you know, behind on the model half program, like we've seen with the Ford camp, like we've seen with the, especially with the Team Penske camp, if you're behind, 
it was a huge weekend at Martinsville, and they just couldn't get the victory lane. I thought a, a solid run. They brought everything that they needed to do. Um, they just couldn't get to the victory, the victory lane at the end. They got beat, I think, with, with just the fact that the track cooled down at the end. They weren't as strong as they were earlier in the race. But I thought still a very decent day for the Ford camp yesterday, John. Yeah, I think it was. And I think um, don't count Harvick out next week at Texas. I mean, he's been up there running with Truex and Kyle Busch at the mile and a half to pass few. Um, I think Harvick and Stuart Haas Racing has found something in the mile and a half program. The last mile and a half they were at, Kurt Busch ran really well, too. So I think they found something there. Um, they have the horsepower. Don't ever debate whether or not they have horsepower from Roush Yates engines. Uh, they're starting to go back to play their second time. And the mile and a half, I mean, you look the first time through the mile and a half, Stuart Haas struggled. Now the second time through, I mean, you give Rodney Childers another chance at a notebook and give him a chance to learn from the first go-around, they're always going to be faster. And I think – Yeah, no doubt. I think, um, John, we're, if, you know, you're breaking up there a little bit there, John. But listen, I, there's no doubt, I think, when you look at what happened with, um, you know, with how Harvick has run in the model half program recently – uh, I think he's been very fast. You know, they of all the four teams, that four car is probably the best one to win a championship and get the best shot at it. Team Penske has been really, really tough. They've had a real tough time at it uh, recently on a mile and a half for, for whatever reason. I think Blaney's an outsider for sure. But I just thought for Ford yesterday at Martinsville, they brought fast race cars. They just couldn't close the deal at the end, which is unfortunate for them. Uh, go through the top ten here real quick. Kyle Busch was your winner. Martin Truex Jr. finished second. Clint Boyer, third. Brad Kozlowski was fourth. Kevin Harvick, fifth. Then you had Trevor Bain, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Matt Kenseth, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. rounding out your top ten. A lot of that was skewed because of a big wreck at the end of the race um, where it looked like Ryan Blaney got turned around and took out a lot of cars. Uh, so some people got better finishes than where they really deserved. Some people were, were tore up. I think Kurt Busch you know, was better than 22nd. Uh, Eric Amarola was probably better than 18th. Casey King was probably better than 16th. But the accident, again, really, um, you know, skewed the, the results there. But, you know, when you look at the points here, it's interesting because right now that accident with Chase Elliott we talked about has put him way back. Uh, I think it might put him in an opportunity of a winner, win or go home in these next two weekends at Texas and Phoenix. He's 29 points off of fourth place right now with, with Kevin Harvick. And I know it's one weekend. And he's sitting there going, well, it's only one race, but it was a huge race. It was an opportunity for Chase where, again, Hendrick is not where they want him to be on the mile and a half tracks. Um, I think that hurts them. So, uh, you know, I think Chase is in an opportunity here, John, where he's basically a win or go home right now with these next two weekends at Texas and Phoenix. Yeah, I think we've uh, talked about it several different times. Whenever they used to do the 10 race chase, you could get a mulligan or two. But now they're in three race segments, and there's no mulligan to be had. Uh, Kyle Busch was fortunate enough that he had a mulligan, uh, actually two mulligans if you think about it, in the last round, and made it through. And then he goes and wins this week, so he's locked into Homestead. 
and it'll take a miracle for Truex. I mean, he'll, he'll need two blown engines to not make it. So, I mean, you can almost pencil Truex into being there at Homestead. But, yeah, I think Chase Elliott has to win to get in. He's 29 points back, and it's not just that he's 29 points back of fourth place. He's 20 points back from seventh place because, I mean, he's not close. I mean, everybody else is single digits away from Harvick in fourth. Chase Elliott's 29 back from Harvick, so he's got to pass three guys and hope four guys have big trouble for him to hop into fourth place. Um, I think he's got a shot at Texas. I mean, Johnson won there in the spring, so the Chevys will run okay at Texas. I just, I mean, in reality, I can almost say this is a true X race coming up here because if you think about the mile and a half this year, it's true X and then everybody else might get one, but true X is one half. I mean, half of the mile and a half this year. I think Harvick, you almost have to pencil him in at Phoenix because he's to Phoenix, like Jimmy Johnson was to Dover and it's everybody else just fighting for those last spots. No, I agree. I think, uh, it was a huge, that's why it was such a huge weekend. I'd say a little bit disappointing run for Jimmy Johnson too, John on Sunday, you know, this is his racetrack. This is where a lot of people look at and say this is where he can win. And as much as we talk about the playoffs and, and the schedule here fitting his style of racetracks where, well, he's got Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix where he's really good. Martinsville's always a racetrack where you sit there and you pencil that 48 in the win every weekend, every time you come here. Um, and it wasn't the fact that he didn't win. You know, if he ran like Kozlowski did and you looked at it and said, well, he finished fourth. He had a really good race car. They just you know, couldn't close the deal at the end. It wasn't that. It was we qualified on Sunday, and they spun out. They had to start from the rear because they changed their tires. They had to change some parts of that team. It was a just not a very good weekend at all for Jimmy Johnson and that 48 team. And uh, I think – excuse me. Uh, and I think as far as that 48 team was concerned, it was a, a weekend that you look at it and you're disappointed because I think – they had to come here and perform, and Jimmy spinning on qualifying really hurt that. Uh, I know he, uh, he um, wheel-hopped it, but that really hurt that team's performance. They had to change. They had to go from the rear. They could never get the track position to really lead and get out in front, and it ended up with a 12th-place finish for that 48 team, so a tough day for them. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson's day was pretty much hosed whenever he screwed up in qualifying, and it's tough to go. There's some places, you look at some of the mile and a half, you can start 40th. And you look what Blaney did the last time. He started dead last to the field because his qualifying time was disallowed. I mean, he was in the top 15 before they had the competition caution at lack 30. At Martinsville, you can't do that. There's just mm-hmm. too much. I mean, when you start the green flag drops, you are, are going into turn three when the leaders are hitting the start-finish line. So you're already a quarter of a lap down before you even get the green flag. It takes a lot to stay off of being a lap down in the first segment, especially if you get a long green flag run, because Johnson's fighting traffic and not and at that early in the race, it was something characteristic. But we see some characteristic things from that 48 team this year that we haven't really seen in years past. I mean, I think everybody was all loaded for Bear wanting that eighth championship this year, but I think they had a championship hangover and they might need to regroup for next year. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think this team is where they need to be. Uh, they got very, very fortunate to be in where they are with this round because of what happened last weekend at Kansas where they spun twice. 
um, and still made it, still made it, but barely. Um, and they come out to, to Martinsville, and it wasn't. A, I'm not going to sit there and say they ran horrible. They should just pack up and go home, but it just wasn't what we we're accustomed to seeing in that 48 team at Martinsville. And to me, that's a, that's alarming, you know. And the 24 ran really good, so they have the stuff there, but they're just not able to figure it out. And that's very uncharacteristic of this 48 team, as you touched on. This is that team is usually on their game at all times. Now they still have two weekends to go. They have Texas and Phoenix, and knowing them, they could come out there at Texas or Phoenix whip everybody, surprise them, and go into Homestead and, and run for the championship. But I just don't see that happening this year. They seem to be just a bit off. They're, that well-oiled machine seems to have just a little bit, uh, you know, just not running as smoothly as it has been in years past. So um, a little bit disappointing run from there. From I, think their there end, might be sure. two, I think there might be two things to cause that. I think one of them not having that alliance with Stuart Haas Racing where you have another four crew chiefs providing information and another four drivers providing information, I think that hurt. I mean, you've noticed since the announcement that Stuart Haas was going to Ford, that alliance sort of slid away toward the middle of last year for sure. And then at the end of last year, it was non-existent. And this year it hasn't existed. So they haven't really had anybody outside who can give them uh, feedback of how the chassis are operating and different things like that. But also I think Hendrick Motorsports is the lead car at developing the Chevy Camaro for 2018. So there's some of the engineering support that they might have on the teams that might be going to building the 2018 car because Chevy's going from the SS back to the Camaro. And I think that might be something that has hindered Hendrick Motorsports a little bit this year. Oh, no doubt. I think uh, when you look at, you know, everybody's always looking for 2018. And, uh, you know, especially when they got so much going on next year, they have two drivers that are leaving. Um, two drivers are bringing in. They're switching some teams around. It's just, there's no doubt. I think um, they're not as strong as they would be. You know, I think Chase is their best chance to win the championship, although he, and I only say that because he's had better speed in the 48. And, but right now he's in a winner take all situation, I think, like I said earlier. So, um, you know, win or go home situation, I should say for that 24 car. Uh, I think that is where um, they are a problem. John, I want to touch on this quick. You know, I think it was an interesting weekend because of everything that went down. How about, how do you feel about this? This was the last weekend in 2017 that we're going to see qualifying on the same day as the race. Uh, which was interesting, a little bit of a, of a different you know, twist to the weekend. Uh, a lot of people voiced their opinions saying they don't like it. A lot of people say they do like it. Where do you sit in this? Do you like qualifying on the same day as the race weekend on, on, on race day? Uh, do you like it on a Saturday? Do you like it on a Friday? What are your thoughts on this whole situation with qualifying on the same day as the race? Well, the thing is they do it in the truck series and the Xfinity series. I don't think it's that big a deal. I think they practice too much. Um, I mean, you look, if you go to your local dirt track, they run five, 10 hot laps to get heat in the engine and actually get an idea of how the track runs and they run their heat races. By the time they feature, maybe they have 15, 20 laps on their car. I don't think they should be out there two, three hours for practice. It's not like they're filling up the, filling up the stands to watch people practice. I, and a lot of times, if you, un, I mean, there isn't that much you can change once you unload off the truck. 
running through tires and running through durability on the engine, which they don't blow up anymore. But I mean, I'd rather see that. I mean, if you think about it, some of the best racing we've seen have been on weekends where qualifying and practice has been rained out and they drop the green flag. They have the competition caution at 30 to say what kind of laptop, I mean, what kind of rubber they put on the track. But I think that's the um, best way to do it. I think they need to do less time on the track. I think they need to, I don't mind qualifying the day of the race. I mean, the fan who's coming to race day gets something extra for their ticket. I don't see the need to qualify Friday. I mean, run an hour of practice Friday, qualify Friday, run two practices Saturday, then run Sunday. I mean, disposable income isn't what it used to be. And people can't afford three full days at the track and buy tickets for three different things. I mean, you watch them practice, there's 10 people in the stands. So I, mean, I don't know why they do it. I mean, I think it's better they do it in the two days. It gives the people who go a bigger weekend for their buck. And it, they get more things for less money. I mean, the what I used to think was the best ticket in NASCAR was Friday at Richmond, where you get both cup practices, both Xfinity practices, cup and Xfinity qualifying, and the best ticket in NASCAR. And if they keep doing this on race ends, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, listen, I, I again, I'm, I'm like you. I don't think it really matters all that much. I think it's a, uh, you know, the drivers and teams are really pushing for this to kind of save some money. You know, when you only bring, when you come in on a Saturday, like they did this weekend at Martinsville, you don't have to pay for hotels on Friday. Uh, you don't have to pay, do just the extra day at the racetrack. You know, it saves everybody a little bit of money, a little bit of time. And I think you're going to see that a little bit more. I would like, I wouldn't mind qualifying on Saturday just because of the fact that if somebody has an issue, you know, and I know you say, well, don't spin in qualifying, but if somebody has it with the way we do qualify now, if somebody else has an issue in front of you and spins and you run into them, uh, you know, you got to turn that backup car around in two hours to get ready to the race. And that means putting an engine in it. And I don't know how safe that car is going to be. So that's to me is where I go eh, about it. I would like to see it on a Saturday. But to me, again, it doesn't matter all that much. Um, I was just curious to see if somebody else had a different opinion as far as I did, because I just think it's, you know, it's interesting. It changes the game a little bit for the teams. Uh, it changed the game for Jimmy Johnson this week because. You know, they had to change the parts and, get, and really kind of, um, you know, turn that car around and get it ready to go for the race in basically two and a half hours. So that's certainly changed some things for that team as well. Final thoughts, John, on the Cup Series race at Martinsville before we move on. Um, I'm in agreement with Junior, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Martinsville because it's single lane, but I do like short track racing. There's more excitement to it. Everybody has a better chance. Um I, I really like the weekend at Martinsville. I think it was a good weekend. Like Junior said, they're talking about the racing, not about the PJ1, not about inspection, not about some sort of rule that NASCAR put in the middle of the race. They talked about the race, and that's what I really like about it whenever they have it. This is the weekend NASCAR should say, okay, we need to try to make this the model for the rest of the season, all of next season. Try to make it like this. I can't agree more. I, and I've talked about it. We talked about it at length on this show before. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt if you could get, you know, what we got this weekend at Martinsville, uh, of course, of the, over the course of the season, you know, grandstands would be filled. Ratings would be up and NASCAR would be in a much better spot than it is right now. Um, but, you know, it's hard. It's a lot easier said than done. There's a lot of 
pieces that's got to move. There's a lot of people who've got to sign off on that before we get a few more short tracks in there. And it's unfortunate because, again, you know, I would love to see more short tracks. I think it'd be great to see. Um, 917-889-8280 here. Do you want to join the show? Talk about anything we talked about tonight. Uh, that is the number to do so. Um, there was a NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Martinsville this weekend. It was a Texas Roadhouse 200 presented by Alpha Energy Solutions. Uh, a 200-lap race that ended up with Noah Gregson in victory lane. He led the final 10 laps, beat Matt Crafton, Johnny Sauter, Harrison Burton, and Todd Gilliland, Stuart Friesian, Kaz Gralla, Christopher Bell, Ben Rose, and Austin Sindrick rounded out the top 10. Um, listen, it was here's a kid, uh, Gregson, who's had a really tough year, didn't make the, the playoffs in the truck series, but goes out there, ran a very good race all day long. I don't think he had the truck to win. I think that belonged to Crafton or Sauter, uh, but it came down to track position at the end. Uh, and as I said, Crafton picked the inside lane on a restart, and he felt like that bogged him down a little bit, that he was a little bit tight on the bottom. That allowed Gregson to go around him and, and get to the lead and speed to his first career NASCAR Camping World Truck Series victory. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Camping World Truck Series race at Martinsville on Saturday, John? Again, I, I love truck racing. I think it's some of the better racing we have. Um, it's good to see. And the way it works with the trucks, it's really good. You've got um, the veterans in Crafton and Sauter, and you've got the young bucks coming up like Christopher Bell, Noah Gregson, Harrison Burton, Myatt Snyder, um, Todd Gilliland. I mean, heck, Kyle Busch probably had it for the field with as many trucks as he put out there for his kids. Um, I think it's good racing. And it was nice to see Noah Gregson win. Um, I really like the way Crafton runs things. I mean, he, he made a mistake. Like he said, he, it just tightened him up going around the bottom, and he just couldn't get the push he needed to, off the turn. But, I mean, I thought uh, it was a really good race. I felt bad for John Hunter Nemechek. He uh, got in a wreck early in the race and wound up. He's in a winner-go-home position, sort of like Chase Elliott is. But I think um, your main drivers, Christopher Bell's in pretty good shape to make it to Homestead. I think Crafton and Sauter are going to be the two you see battling it out for second and third. And then it's going to be a battle between who gets fourth. And I think one of the things you look at, especially with the trucks, is John Hunter Nemechek has been flying on mile-and-a-half tracks. And even though they crashed out of this one, do not overlook him at Texas this weekend. I've been saying all along since they started the playoffs, John Hunter Nemechek is the person I, I have in the final four, and I'm sticking to it. Interesting. I, I, listen, I would like to see that team do that. Um, I hope they can do it because they, they need to do it, obviously, to advance to the chase, but, you know, or to the final race, the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. Um, you know, I like, I understand Gregson, no doubt, his, he, right now he's 11th in points if you look at it. Um, but he did everything he needed to do. I thought he ran a very, very good race. I thought he ran a pretty clean race at the end, too, where he didn't move anybody out of the way, and that was key. Um, you know, but you talk about the young kids. It was nice to see them. I thought a good run for Harrison Burton. Todd Gilliland was up there. Stuart Friesian, who's not a young kid, but, he, you know, only his second year in NASCAR. Kaz Growlett in seventh. Christopher Bell, eighth. And Ben Rhodes and Austin Cedric. So a lot of young drivers, a lot of inexperienced drivers in the top ten. Then he got crafted and Sauter. Um, you know, we got Texas next weekend in the truck series. They, they do Texas, Phoenix, and Homestead as well to finish out the year. All three series do. So we have three triple header weekends at Texas, Phoenix, and Homestead to finish off the season. Um, who's your pick to win this championship here, John? Is it Crafton? Is it Sauter? Uh, who do you got? Christopher Bell? Who is it? I think um, 
as long as Christopher Bell doesn't blow an engine, I think he's the guy who you have to basically hang your hat on and say, this is the guy I expect to win it. I expect Crafton and Sauter to be there just because they're Crafton and Sauter. But like I said, I still think John Hunter find a way. I think he's, I mean, they're going to find a way probably to win Texas is what my guess is. Because if they don't, they're going home. But I, I think Joe and the boys will find everything they can. And I, I still like cheering for the little team that could. And they are probably the smallest. I mean, they're without a doubt the smallest team still alive and have done more with less than everybody else out on those tracks. I really feel if somebody's looking for a good little driver, John Hunter Nemechek's the guy because, I mean, like I said, this group has done more with less and continues to do more with less. And that's what you, if you give them more, just imagine what they could do. Listen, I agree, and, and it'll be interesting to see how his career plays out here moving forward. Um, it, was a, it was a fun weekend at Martinsville. I think it was a, a weekend that we answered a lot of questions. You know, I think ultimately, to wrap this Martinsville talk up, I think ultimately it was a missed opportunity for a lot of teams because Kyle Busch could win Texas, he could win Phoenix, but not everybody can say that. Um, you know, and, and those teams that have struggled in a mile and a half, struggled at, at other racetracks, besides the short tracks like Brad Keselowski, they sort of missed the opportunity here this weekend at Martinsville. Um, you know, listen, I think at the end of the day, um, it was a fun weekend. It was, it was good. And definitely, John, what you talked about earlier and what Dale Jr. talked about on this podcast, we need more short tracks. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's just, again, we've talked about it at length on this show. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of parts to do it. Uh, I doubt we see that happen in the next five to 10 years. I'd be shocked, honestly, if that happened. Um, And that's very unfortunate. Yeah, I really believe that we need more short tracks. Um, The thing is, it's really one of the best racetracks I ever went to was Rockingham. I used to love every year. And it was sad, the amount of people that didn't show up. And when they brought it back with the truck race, when Andy Hillenberg was trying to make a go of it, they had some great racing there for that truck race. And then nobody showed up. So NASCAR said, hey, we we tried. Thanks for playing. Bye-bye. And they kept doing what they do. I mean, you look at some of the better racing we've had this year. Richmond's been good. New Hampshire's been good. Uh, Martinsville's been great. Uh, Phoenix was good. Bristol was good. You go to the mile and a half, it's like, eh, here we go. Another mile and a half. The thing is, if they, and Dale Jr. even said it, build another Bristol and fi- keep trying to put more stands in. If they continue to do that, it'll be better for the sport. The mile and a half, yeah, I mean, they put 150,000 seats in there, but you notice every mile and a half, they've been reducing seats like crazy. Dover used to have 180,000 seats. They're down to, what, 90 now? Because nobody was going. And they building up these mile-and-a-half tracks because they could put a boatload of uh, – but now nobody's going to them because the racing sucks. So if you're NASCAR, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. For sure. And, you know, again, you got the ISC, the SMI deal there, um, you know, where one of those race – one of those companies will probably have to buy a racetrack and then sell – move their dates around for to get a date. And on a business side of things – I just don't see that happening. 
Uh, and that's part of the reason why I don't, you know, you need to, you need safer barriers. They're expensive to put around every part of the racetrack. Although we say that, and then you see, you know, Watkins Glen doesn't have any safer barriers and they, they hold a cup race. So, um, you know, that's not entirely true, but for the most part, I think they want to have, these teams to have um, safer barriers for sure. A couple of silly season news here. No, a couple of silly season notes here, John, as we move forward on the show. Um, one is Matt Crafton. Matt Crafton announced this week he will be back at Thor Sport Racing in the Truck Series next season, driving the 88 truck. Uh, you know, that's been a long time association with Menards, a long time association with Thor Sport Racing. He's always a championship contender. And that's good to see that a you know the truck series has had some hard hits here recently, losing Brad Keselowski's team, losing Red Horse Racing. Uh, nice to see that that deal will still come together and they'll still be together next season. I think it's really good. Uh, Matt Crafton's a staple of the truck series. He's been there 17 years, and 16 of the 17 years he's been um, with Thor Sport, and it's just Thor Sport is Matt Crafton, and Matt Crafton is Thor Sport. Um, I think it's good for the sport. I think there's a few other things that need to be tied up. I mean, I read about Johnny Sauter testing the feed engine again. Um, they announced after he tested it at Talladega, the speeds in the crate engine were faster than the pole speed at Talladega. He tested it again after Richmond. They talked to him and he says, um, I don't have a signed contract with GMS racing. They know I'd love to be back. I think it's just a matter of getting the contract put together and everything signed. But I mean, Johnny Sauter still doesn't have a deal yet. And he's second in points. Um, we know Christopher Bell's going up to the Xfinity series. Uh, also, uh, it was put out there today that, um, uh, what should we call it? Um, Austin Wayne South, Austin Wayne South for- is going to sign. He signed with somebody new. He signed with Nice Motorsports for 2018. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's good to see people start to get locked in. A lot of times, unfortunately for the truck series, there's sort of the almost afterthought because you really don't hear about people locked into truck teams until mid-January. So it's right. really tough to put your promotions together, put your sponsorship packages together. And some of these truck series don't hire drivers unless they have sponsorship coming with them. So it's nice to see something like this being done ahead of time. Yeah. And, and, that's that's good, especially like I said for the truck series. They need some positive news here about these teams because recently it's been very very negative, and with these teams shutting down and uh, all that kind of stuff, you know. And I, and Todd Gilliland is a kid who I think is going to run full time next year in the truck series for Cobbush Motorsports, so he's somebody to keep an eye on next year as well when Bell moves uh, to to the Xfinity series, which was announced that he's moving to the Xfinity series. Um, you know, I, I think it's the next step for Christopher Bell. He's a great, good driver. He's done a great job this year at Cobbush Motorsports. I think he's the, the favorite by far right now to win a championship. Uh, that team's had speed all year. Um, what do you think he's going to do next year in his first year in Xfinity, um, driving for KBM? Or, excuse me, driving for JGR in the Xfinity Series. Well, we saw what he did last week. He went out and won the race. So um, I think Christopher Bell is a solid race car driver. You put him in, I mean – He's probably the next edition of Tony Stewart. You can put him in anything on any kind of car. He can drive a 410 Sprint. He can drive a Midget. He can drive a truck. He can drive Xfinity. Sooner or later, he'll be driving a cup car, and he'll be competitive in anything. He, anytime he puts a helmet on, he's going to be competitive. Um, I think Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson are sort of made out of the same cloth. One of the things I keep um, thinking about, and you and I have talked about it again, 
Toyota's developing tons of drivers. I mean, you look, Kyle Busch has four teams in the uh, truck series. Thor Sport has three teams. You've got all these Toyota drivers coming through the pipeline. Place to go when they get the cup. I mean, you saw it when they lost William Byron to Hendrick Motorsports. They probably had to move um, Eric Jones up a year earlier than they really wanted to. Because if they didn't, somebody's going to say, hey, you're kicking butt in the Xfinity Series. Why don't, you, I mean, why don't you come up and drive for us? Because we'll give you a Cup Series ride. I think a lot of these, um, like Joe Gibbs, the way they've done it, they watched and saw how it worked with Jeff Gordon, where Jeff Gordon was a Ford development driver, and Ford didn't have a place for him at the end, and Bill Davis was going to go to Cup, but Bill Davis wasn't Roush. He wasn't Yates back then. And then Rick Hendricks said, hey, uh, I got a spot for you. You want to come over here? And Casey Kane. Casey Kane came up through the Ford pipeline. But there was no place for him to go in the cup level. So he ends up going to Dodge and driving for Ray Everham. I don't think the, I don't think Gibbs wants to see that happen. I mean, they did the same thing. They probably rushed Joey Logano a little early. I think they might have rushed Daniel Suarez a little bit early. But Daniel Suarez comes with a huge sponsorship package, so they wanted to make sure that they didn't lose that sponsorship. I think there's going to be Toyota drivers coming through the pipeline, and there's going to be nowhere for them to go here in a couple years, and there's going to be a lot of other people poaching them. Heck, yeah, and and we saw it with William Byron. I think Byron saw the writing on the wall. When you look at the Cup Series and how good their drivers are in the Cup Series and how young their drivers are, you know, Hamlin's still pretty young. He's in his mid-30s. Kyle Busch is still young. He's in his early 30s. You have Suarez, who just got there. Eric Jones is taking over to 20 as a young kid. And then you got Martin Truex Jr. in his 78 car. Now, they can expand the furniture racing team two-car operation again if they have to uh, to make room for somebody. But, you know, that's pretty clogged right now. Uh, and when you look at an opportunity, if you're Christopher Bell and you get to the Xfinity Series and you're winning races and Chip Ganassi says, hey, listen – you want to be teammates with Kyle Larson in the one car, I think you take that deal. Um, so I do, I, you know, and, and they have a lot of kids you talked about. You know, we talked about Todd Gilliland. He's another, another one coming up. You really think in five years that Toyota's going to have a lot of seats right open for Todd Gilliland? I don't know. Um, you know, again, Hamlin, Bush, they're not going anywhere. Suarez isn't going anywhere. Eric Jones isn't going anywhere. So right now, JGR is in pretty good shape until these guys retire. Um, I don't think any, anybody's going to leave. Uh, willingly because they, they have right, especially right now, because the team is just on on rails. Truex and, and the 78 car are the favorite to win the championships. They're not going, he's not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. So it, it's hard when you put yourself in the situation of a Toyota where you say, well, we want to develop all these young drivers, but we don't have a lot of teams, which kind of leads me to my next point, John, because I thought when there was rumors and speculation about furniture, front row motorsports going to Toyota, that that might be the next avenue Toyota looked at to say, hey, you know what? We can get two teams, give them, give them TRD engines, let their these drivers' contracts run out, and then put our young kids in it, and we'll have a sort of a mega Toyota team here with Front Row Motorsports. That's no longer the case. Front Row Motorsports basically came out this weekend and said to motorsport.com, they're not going to Toyota. They're going to stick at Ford uh, next season. Expect it to be announced in the next couple of weeks. Um so that takes Toyota, that takes Toyota, a, a team that could to potentially move to Toyota away there. Um, so Front Row Motorsports sticking at Ford sounds like they're going to have a little bit better engine package next year from the Ford camp. 
Uh, Rash Fenway is going to provide their super speedway and road course cars as well to have them focus on the mile and a half package there. Um, what do you think about this move, move for Front Row Motorsports? Stick with Ford. They got rid of Castle. They're going to bring in Michael McDowell from the 95 team, it sounds like. Sounds like David Reagan's going to stay there in a second car. What about Front Row Motorsports for next year? What do you think? You think we'll see a slight improvement in that team? Um, I think it depends on who they get for the driver or the 34. Um, I think they even said uh, in the article on motorsport.com that um, it looks like Michael, da- Michael McDowell is going to be in for line for Castle seat. And if he brings uh, Todd Parrott with him, it's automatically going to make the team better. And um, Hugh Freeze even, or Jerry Freeze even said David Reagan's deal is not finished for 2018. But they said he's not signed yet, but it's the intention. We're trying to get our ducks in a row organizationally and then start lining up drivers and sponsors. I think Front Row Motorsports is one of those teams that has come into the sport and done it right. I mean, they've gone from starting park, hopefully making the top 30. Now they're usually, I mean, Reagan doesn't mess up equipment. Um, Castle had a rough year this year. They've been doing it right. They've been building their team as they've gone. It isn't like one of those, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to set the world on fire. They came in with expectations and they came in with a budget and they do things with the expectations with the budget. And as they've grown, the budgets have gotten bigger, had more sponsorship come on board. And if you're finished, if you're racing at the end of the race, it's a heck of a lot easier to get sponsorship than if you go back home on the wrecker. And it's a lot easier to make more with your dollars. If you go back home, with your car in one piece and your backup car still sitting there than it is if you go home on the wrecker and your backup car gets wrecked. So I think front row motorsports has done it right by hiring drivers who know how to be competitive, but know how to stay out of the mess. And David Reagan's always been one of them. Um, David Gilliland got to the point where he became a driver where he wasn't getting into messes on a regular basis. He started to, um, make the most of the equipment he had. And now that they're making the most of the equipment they had, they know they got to make, get better equipment. And I think they're doing that with the deal with the tier one engines with Roush Fenway racing. And they also were, when they were looking at it with Toyota, there's two engine opportunities. There's TRD and there's triad triads, uh, a good chance of them going away because of the crate engines coming in. Yeah. And you know, nobody's going to use them in cup either. So, uh, it sounds like that's definitely the case. 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. If you want to join the show, last couple of minutes. Another interesting nugget for 2018, John, that just came out right before the show was Smithfield. Uh, they already announced that they're going to continue. They're going to uh, go to Stuart Haas Racing next season, sponsor him, but they're also going to return to Richard Petty Motorsports at, in some capacity next year, which is kind of surprising. Um, I don't think it's going to be a major deal now. From what I've heard, and this is kind of stuff that I've heard from people who might know a thing or two, um, Richard Petty Motorsports had a clause in a contract that basically said Smithfield couldn't go to Stuart Haas races, couldn't go with Eric Amarola. For example, they could leave in 2018, but they couldn't take Eric Amarola with them, so they didn't lose their driver and sponsor at the same time. Um, So there was a clause in a contract where – yeah, you can leave, but you're not going to sponsor Eric Amarola. I wonder if this is and, – and it was interesting because RPM made a, a comment basically smoothing stuff over 
over the weekend, and then Smithfield came out today and made us, uh, another comment smoothing it over. I wonder if they looked at this and said, listen, we'll give you some money next year. We'll, we'll sponsor you as a as a associate sponsorship deal next season, and we'll sponsor Eric Amarola in the 10 car at Stuart Haas Racing and just nullify that little bit of a uh, – you know, that little bit of a clause in a contract that you guys had that didn't let us sponsor Eric Amarola. I wonder, John, if that had anything to do with it because – a very, very curious deal, especially because of the fact that they, it ended so badly. Well, I think it's always uh, money change. Money changes everything in the old Cindy Lauper song. Um, if they're throwing a bone to the king to say, we'll be an associate sponsor, we'll give you a little bit here to help you out. Right now, they don't have anything on that 43. Other than the Air Force, a couple of days, and what they have on the 43 right now. Um, I don't think it's a bad deal. I'm wondering, and a good lawyer would probably be the one to find out and figure it out. Richard Petty Motorsports didn't want Eric back this year. Richard Petty Motorsports wanted Bubble Wall. And to enforce the contract, Richard Petty Motorsports, and they still went to Stuart Haas Racing. There would be no fight about it. But Richard Petty didn't really want Eric Almirola back. They wanted Bubba Wallace. And they were hoping Smithfield would stay for him. And Smithfield has a great relationship with Almirola. I think also, I, if I'm Smithfield, yeah, it doesn't hurt because he has been a good spokesman for the company for the past few years. And everybody in NASCAR knows who the king King race, but they know who he is. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of what caused them to rethink the position. And they'll probably be able to ha- be on the 10 car with Eric Almirola, but still Eric Almirola hasn't been announced for that car. And I'm wondering why, because well, everything's maybe. set up for it. I mean, right. you just put, say Eric Almirola is coming to Stuart Haas racing. Doesn't mean Smithfield's going to be on the car, but Eric Almirola is coming to Stuart Haas racing. And there must be something sticking in there because they haven't got it. And I mean, Boyer's locked in. There's, I mean, as Leon said, he heard that uh, was just uh, the eyes are dotted. They need the eyes dotted, the T's crossed. They probably wrote a two-way contract. One if Monster Energy comes back. One if they don't. And then you've got the. I mean, builds in as a sponsor. They'd announce a. And if it wasn't, if uh, Almirola couldn't drive for Smithfield, they put Smithfield on the 14 and put Haas Automation on the 10 for a year. Yeah, and it sounds like I think that deal will probably be announced here soon because if they, you know, get in this whole, this whole contract situation smoothed over with Richard Petty Motorsports, I think that's a, a good sign in the right direction for Smithfield and a good sign in the right direction of figuring out what happens with that 10 car in 2018. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We'll be back here on Wednesday night on Talking Circles. We'll be previewing Texas Motor Speedway and all the news of the week of NASCAR. Thanks, everybody. Good night.